on to the cross. I'm calling to the cross. I will be preaching um, several of these messages, and our brother Frank will preach next week in this series, and our brother Joe will preach a few weeks after that. A couple weeks after that. Um, it has been said by a famous New Testament scholar that the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the life of Jesus is, is told to us, that these are long introductions to the cross. And um, it's been, at least for the last couple of years, the custom, uh, custom of my preaching, that as we, as we gain to, toward Easter, that um, we begin to look at these passages that take us to the cross of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 26 are, is the move. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew for these next few weeks. And, um, and so we're going to, and this passage is the passage that is a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew that takes us to the events that lead to the cross and to the resurrection of Jesus. So we'll be looking at these passages. I don't think I've ever, I've, in fact, I don't think I know. I've never preached on this before. And, uh, as I chewed on this text, it was, um, it didn't, I did not land where I thought I'd land. I was, uh, it was, it was good. And so I hope that it blesses you. And, um, we're going to talk about riches and money and kingship. And it's not where I thought I'd be talking about today, but that is where I believe that the Lord is leading us. So, Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 13. This is the word of God. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, let there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. This is... This is the event that I'd like to focus on in our message today. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman, the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray for today's message. Lord, uh, it is a strange and remarkable thing that occurs. And this is the story that your, your, this book, the Gospel of Matthew, which helps us to see Jesus, tells us as we begin a journey to the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to open our eyes and in the drama of this story, help us to see who we are. What kind of person are we? And help us to see how we handle our money and treasure and how we think about kingship and how we look to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. 
So we're going we're to divide this into three. First, I'm going to talk about riches and worship, the issue of riches and worship. Two, I'm going to talk about anointment or anointing and kingship. Anointing and kingship. It seems like a strange subject matter because <laughs> we don't anoint anybody and we don't have any kings, Pastor. It's actually incredibly relevant today as it will always be, right? Anointing and kingship. And three, we're going to talk about the treasure of the cross. Okay, so let's talk about first riches and worship. Now, right here in this story, you know, right at the beginning of chapter 26, Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. And for those, you know, I know that in this time, we, we already think Jesus went to the cross and the disciples, they, have this, or they already know it's all about the cross. But at this point in time, before it has happened, the disciples, they really don't get it. Okay? They really don't understand how the cross is where, the, where Jesus is going. And the cross is the place where all of salvation is going to occur. This is the most tremendous thing that they're going to receive. And so this just runs all by them. And this, is, it, this portion of the scriptures frames what, what's, what comes afterwards. And the very next event that the scriptures then gives us is this very strange story, this dinner par- of how it happens at this dinner party in a house in um, Simon the leper, some guy named Simon, who most scholars think was probably a guy that was healed by Jesus because who would ever want to go to a leper's house if he was still, well, basically, if he was still contagious and so um, it was probably not a house that a lot of people had generally been in before. But it was healed, and now we're having a celebration. They're having a really nice dinner and enjoying, I mean, because Jesus is reclined at table. And then this odd thing occurs, and, you know, these kinds of things seem to happen to Jesus, where people <laughs> show up at dinner parties and do weird things. But this is one of those times. A woman shows up. Actually, in the Gospel of John, it's, it's recorded that it's, uh, it's Lazarus' sister Mary. There's Mary and Martha, and, you know, who are the sisters of Lazarus? It's Mary. Now, she comes, and she opens up this flask, an alabaster flask, which is very nice, and, and it, she has in it this oil of, of uh, in one of the other Gospels, it says it's of pure nard. It's really valuable. Okay, let's just put it that way. And she begins to pour this and anoint Jesus with this. And this is fraught with meaning, and which I will get to in just a second. But at the, at the, in the first portion of this, I just want to highlight to you what the, the drama that the scripture then begins to unfurl. She, it's this, this oil, this nard oil, according to Mark chapter 14 anyway, it actually specifies to you. In Matthew, he just tells you, it's really expensive. But in Mark chapter 14, they tell you, one of the disciples, when he gets really upset about this, is like, this thing, this oil is worth more than 300 denarii. Why would you just pour it down on Jesus right now while we're just all sitting here? It's like, we're just having dinner. This woman shows up, pours oil on his head. What the heck? Why would you do that? And this thing is extremely expensive. This is hugely wasted. Why would you do that? And I'm trying, you know, as I've been thinking about this message, how do you try to, to convey 
the weirdness of what just occurred. Think about this. You're at somebody's house. You know, maybe there's an honored person there. Someone shows up. And imagine if they had, um, I don't know, some extremely expensive item. And it's something that you can only use once. And so something today would be, the, the ointment today, I don't know, the only thing that would be close would be some extremely expensive perfume. I don't even know how to put it. But it would have to be extremely expensive because what 300 denarii represents, a denarius in this time is one day's wages. That's how they did it. It's like this is a denarius. They figured out what that is. And so if you try to scale that up into modern day, 300 days pay. So I don't know what you get paid. <laughs> but just think about that. 300 days pay is, pro- at least in today, if most people work five days a week, that's actually more than a year's worth of wages. So let me just ask you this. What do you make in a year? Hmm? What do you make in one year? You know, some of you may make, you know, you guys are young, you don't make as much, make forty or $50,000, and then there are some other people, you know, in, in our congregation who may make more, 70, 80, 100 plus. Let's just throw a number out there. Let's just say, you know, today, if we throw some kind of median in, in our church, it's like $75,000. So you have an honored guest at this dinner. There is an item. You can only use this once. It's poured out on him. And now, 75 grand, just, just, that's it. He just blew this money. And, and we're not talking about people who don't know something about Jesus. These are the disciples. Who are the people that get upset at this? It's the disciples. The disciples are like, wow, he just wasted that, that amount of money. We could have actually sold that. And look what great things that could have done for the poor. It not that a really... If you re- watch, read the passage, clearly there's kind of like two opinions there. There's a woman, she did something with her riches. With the great money that she has amassed, which, is, which probably took her a tremendous amount of years to save. And this thing that she has is incredibly valuable. It's probably something she has saved for many, many years. It probably took her years and years of saving to have this. And who knows exactly how she was able to obtain it. Because we're not talking about a rich person here. And then on the other hand, we have another viewpoint. And come on, how could you have wasted this? And if you think about it from that viewpoint, the scripture Clearly, then Jesus says something, you know, he's clearly on her side, that what she did, he, have, he more than approves of. It's so important that it's in the scriptures and says that wherever the gospel will be proclaimed in the world, and by the way, that must have been a little strange for the, the disciples here at the time, because at this point, um, this word about you is only proclaimed around here. But eventually, it will be, it will, and is being proclaimed around the whole world. And now, this story of who she is and what she has done has to go to everybody. That's what it's saying. This story will go to everybody, and there, here it is. It's in the scriptures it's for us to read. Now, let me let me contrast this. What I think we what we have here in the scriptures is two kind of contrasting approaches to how we look at wealth or how we look at value or treasure or let me just put it this way just money i did not think i would be 
starting off the first sermon of the series talking about money, but here it is, right? It's about money. The Bible talks a lot about money, actually. And sometimes people don't like it when the pastor talks about money, but if you're going to preach the Bible faithfully, and you better talk about money. Because money represents what people think is valuable, and it also represents where they think their treasure and their riches should go. Wherever and how you spend your money, it tells you what you think, what you think is really valuable in your life. It's revealing of what you think is true riches and true value in your life and true worth. And so what we have here is kind of two pictures. One is money is incredibly useful. It is scarce, and what money is, is is primarily a great tool. And what we should do is do good things with it. So now the disciples, what they say is they don't say, let's go out and blow it on, you know, some fancy vacation. Let's go to an expensive dinner. Let's take this thing, and we could have used it, you know, and bought ourselves, you know, a nice car or something. Of course, they didn't have cars back then, right? But that's not what they say. They talk about something that even from a very a Christian point of view, even from even just a good human point of view, anybody could recognize you take us this money and we can't just waste it. And in a certain way, a lot of times there are people, in, even in churches, people who are well-meaning per, um, persons, and we can get very, you know, we can get even almost judgmental about this. There are people, they take their money and then they waste it on X, Y, Z things. And... But, you know, we can always help the poor, right? Now, this in no way in this passage is to say that we should not think and care about the poor because if you were to do that, that would be crazy. It's like Joe taught us a couple weeks ago. It's like taking a passage out of the Scripture and reading it in total isolation from all the rest of the Scriptures. If you read all the rest of the Scriptures, God is absolutely, He is insistent that all those who know Him, follow Him, have great compassion upon the poor. Use your wealth and your resources to pour it out upon the poor. So what the disciples are saying very much agrees with the normal heart of God. And yet here, and yet here, Jesus is essentially kind of rebuking them and saying, actually, there's something more. What this person has done, far from being a waste, there's something far more that what she is doing, and you should think about this, right? Now, on one hand, he's saying something very simple, like, I'm not going to be around that much longer. Hmm? And um, what she did is, she's showing great love to me. But the other thing I want to talk to you about is, now leads me into point number two of my message, this issue of what is it she's doing when she's pouring oil on his head. And that is the issue of anointing and kingship. Now let me back up for a sec. Let's talk about anointing and kingship. Um, we don't do any of this, okay? Back in their time, at very special occasions, people who are set apart would be anointed. Today, I don't know, we go through a special ceremony or a vow or something like this. When a man becomes president of the United States, 
there is an inauguration ceremony. And then he places his hand in the Bible and he stands up and like everybody gathers together. And then he is pronounced the president. And now he has a title and an honor and an authority and a power that he never had before. And so there's a whole ceremony and it is, and it is greatly, I mean, it is it's certainly an event and it certainly costs a lot of money. And nobody thinks that this is unimportant. I mean, if we're going to pick the person who's going to be the leader of our very nation, I mean, are we going to just say, all right, here, here, here President Obama, will you just please sign this piece of paper now? That, that's good. You know, you're, you're, you're good to go. No. We have a ceremony that marks a tremendously important occasion, and this man is now, you know, we wouldn't say it's anointed, right? He would be conferred a great honor and lifted up. We don't even use this word, almost indeed exalted to a place of authority and power um, over us. And the way they did it back in ancient days is they would have an important ceremony and they would have, they would gather together very expensive, um, they were very expensive oil, the purest and best that they can find. And when a man is pronounced king, they would anoint his head as a sign that God's spirit, God's chosenness would be upon him. That's what the oil represents. And as they confer this upon him, they are bowing down to him saying, you, you are our king. And we honor you and we will love you. And so what she is doing here, she is doing tremendously what it's very clear. It's, it's odd that the disciples can't see this. What she is saying is, you are king. You are the Messiah. You aren't just the Messiah. You're my Messiah. You're my king. I will give you my treasure. I will place you as my king over my life. And I will pour out all that I have on you. Because you're worthy. That's what she's saying to him. It is worship pure from the heart. That's what she's doing. And this question of anointing and kingship. You know, we don't do it this way. You know, people come into church. I've accepted Jesus. And then they show up with some oil next week or something like this. We don't do it quite this way. But you know, this thing that happens right here is something that must happen to everybody who follows Jesus. Because the question of kingship and anointing is an absolutely human question. Because what the, there's a, this question arises here in this passage of who is your king and who do you exalt? Who or what, let me put it that way, what will you bow down to and say, you... Or this thing, you, are the hope and power and will reign over my life. That's really the question that's being laid. And every human being has that. And just because we live in a modern democracy and we've kind of gotten past this idea that we don't need kings anymore, doesn't mean we don't need something to something or someone to be over us, to tell us who we are, to give us meaning and and, and in, in whose or its service that we will find the completion and fulfillment of our lives. 
We all have to have that. So the question arises to you, who or what is your king? Because everybody has something or someone else as their king. And now in America today, we have this delusion to think that I, I don't need a king, pastor, because I'm my own king. <laughs> I rule my own life and nobody tells me what to do because I'm free, right? I'm a free guy. And let me just tell you, politically, nobody gets to rule over you and tell you you're free, but spiritually inside your mind and your heart, nobody rules himself. That's nonsense. Everybody has to serve someone over them and give something or someone authority over them. And let me just ask you this question. You're like, I don't really do that, do I? Yes, you do. And I'm going to tell you how you can figure out what is your real functional king. What really is your real functional Lord, what can, has authority over your life to control your life, to tell you if you stink, to tell you if you are worthless, to cast you out, or to say you're good, you follow, and you're, you're one of us, and to um, honor you and to confer worth upon you. Whatever it is where you place your money and where your money has to go, I mean, your money has to go to this thing. That's your king. Everybody will place their money and their treasures before the king that they bow down to. That's Everybody does that. And you're like, wow, hmm. Well, let me just offer it to you. Let's say if you are a person, your looks and your body image is the thing that will make you feel wow, whole and full, you know, that's where your money's going to (laughs) go. There are people who spend tremendous amount of money on their hair, on their clothes, on their thinness, on their health. So some of you are like, well, I'm not so vain. I don't care all about my looks. Well, do you care about your health? You spend a lot of money on your health. Oh, I'm not so vain as all that. Come come on, Pastor. You know, your, your clothes show your image. And if you don't have a certain kind of image of your clothes, nobody will respect you. Now, maybe I'm saying this to the wrong, because this is like Bay Area. And, and I have um, my friends from Southern California say that we in the Bay Area, that, that we look dumpy. <laughs> that's what I've been told. So maybe that's not the best illustration, right? But you know people who are like this. Looks, image, body. That's where their money goes. And if you told them not to spend their money on that, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That is where their money has to go. Huh? That's where their money has to go. I have a friend. Um, I have an old friend. I, we once had this conversation. He was a pastor. And I once asked him, he really loves Chinese food and Korean food. And so what is the thing that gives him real joy in life? A certain kind of food. And I once asked him, hey, if you were to ever get $10 million dollars, but the $10 million had strings attached, and you could not eat Korean food or Chinese food for the rest of your life. I mean, I mean, you have to eat Mexican food. You have to eat Indian food. You can eat hamburgers and hot dogs, pizza, but you can't eat Korean food. You can't eat Chinese food for the rest of your life. Would you take that, you know, $10 million with those strings attached? And he looked at me, zero hesitation. He said, no way. He was like, what the heck would I spend my money on? (laughs) 
I don't know what I'd spend my money on. Because he's not a materialistic guy. He wouldn't spend his money on clothes. He didn't, he didn't care about a fancy car. He didn't really go on vacations or trips. He liked to spend his money on food. Right? And so, and he had been to literally all the, he had found every best Chinese restaurant in his city. He had tried every Korean restaurant in his city. He had tried all the different kinds of Korean dish. He was actually quite a good cook. This is where his money went, right? In some sense, this was, this gave his life joy and, and, and fulfillment. Now that seems like a strange king to have in your life. In a sense, that's, that's where your, where your treasure and your money goes. It's very revealing of your king. Let me tell you just a couple more. A lot of people go to their house. Now we're starting to get a little bit more towards Silicon Valley idolatry, aren't we? Where does the money go? A lot of people will spend... Do you know people in this city will spend a million dollars on a house that's less than 2,000 square feet? That is, if I say that to my friends on the East Coast, they would look at me like, are you insane? (laughs) Are you serious? A million dollars and you don't even have enough place to put your stuff, right? My neighborhood has houses that don't even have a garage. They have no stinking garage. The insulation stinks. And yet people will buy the house for $750,000. You don't tell, you don't think that the need to own a house can be like a king? So important, isn't it? And people spend massive amount of money. Now, not, not just on the mortgage, but on the fixtures and on the lawn. And all, I mean, just think about how, how much money. Because the house is more than a house. It represents a certain understanding of bliss and of life. And this can own you. And people can bow down to it. Let me just say one more before um, I move on. Some people go, oh, come on, pastor. You know, there are some people materialistic with house, but I don't do that. And I'm not on the look side, and I'm, come on, I'm not a food person, right? I don't even spend lots of money. I save money. I save money. And, and then I only use it on good things like giving it to the poor. <laughs> okay? That's how, what exactly some people would say. And they would probably, these are the people, if they were at that dinner party, they would have been, they would have gotten indignant. They're like, that just blew a lot of money for nothing. What was that? Because these are the people who understand the deep usefulness of money. So what are these people? Are they, what's their king? Let me tell you what your king is. People who think saving, 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 because money is so scarce and it's so useful and we can only use it on something super useful and worthwhile like on the poor that sounds like a very worthwhile thing and generally that's a very wise way of thinking but there's this question that the scripture asks you here today well what's your king then and i think a lot of people who think like that their king is security what do you feed you feed your savings you say you feed your you seed you feed and put your treasures and the fact that this is a very kind of insecure world and you're worried about the future and thus what will give you safety in the future while well, having enough money. Right? Or let me put it to you even more toughly. Maybe for some people who save and got to have a certain amount of money massed up and this is the most scarce and valuable resource, your king is money itself. 
money itself is your real thing that you anoint because that's where it's weird money goes to money isn't that strange money can be your king now what's this passage saying this passage is offering a question one where does your anointing go to every person you may not do it with oil but in a sense, in your life, whatever is valuable to you, especially in your, your, your funds, where that goes to, it reveals to you who in your heart that you anoint. And we come into this church and we have this worship service and you hear this word huh? so that there will be a spiritual encounter and you'll begin to think, okay, this question of who is my king, that's not an irrelevant question. And you willingly, gladly, like this woman, like Mary, will go and say, I will take my treasure and anoint Jesus. To exalt Jesus, it's even more important than doing something as, as, as good and as worthwhile as giving to the poor. It's even more than that, right? to exalt Jesus. Now, the scriptures talk about kingship and anointing and money all in this passage. But it also talks about one more thing, and this is what we're about to get to next. How do you get to the place? Because if we're really honest, how do you get to the place in your heart where you not only will give your treasure and your heart's exaltation to Jesus, but you want to do it? Because otherwise, in, in a lot of ways, this becomes a guilt sermon. Pastor Bateson, you said that we should pay, take our money and give it to the church, right? You, you should, this is your way to get more money out of people and give it to church because giving it to the church is, what's, is, is the way to give it to Jesus, right? And that's, but like, I like buying a really nice car. I like, you know, fancy vacations. I like shopping at Nordstrom's versus Macy's or Macy's versus Target, okay? I like these things and so, oh, come on. I don't in my heart really want to do that because in, when it gets right down to it, your treasure, that's, that's not an easy thing to get to let go. I mean, I wonder how long Mary thought about this is what I'm going to do. But let me get to the third part of my message. You know, I think these disciples, the reason I know these, these, these guys, these 12 men who are following Jesus, they, a lot of times they don't get it. Jesus multiple times said, by the way, these chief priests, the guys, all these guys that you respect and think are important, they hate me and they're going to kill me. And they're not going to just sort of kill me, they're going to crucify me. And every time he said that, they probably, and they even got offended. It was like, it went through one ear and out the other. But I think, this woman, Mary, she heard Jesus say that, and unlike these disciples, she heard it. She really heard it. She began to believe it. She said, it's Jesus going to the cross. And as Jesus goes to the cross, what can I give him? I think she began to understand. Maybe she didn't fully have a good atonement theology or fully a full grasp of what it is that Jesus is going to accomplish. But she's understanding 
that there's something about Jesus going to the cross. This, this is why he came. The way that you will actually have it in your heart to want to give your treasure and anoint Jesus as your king, as your king, not just as their king, as your king. The way it will be is if you understand that you don't just need a king. What you need is a crucified king. For on the cross... What occurs is not only that he pays for all your sin, but God says, here is my treasure. It's my son. And I will pour him out for you. You come and pour your treasure out for him. God poured out and he literally cut open his son so that the life of His Son, because that's what blood represents, is the very blood of His Son would be poured out for us. So the God would say, here's my greatest treasure. This is the deepest thing I have. This is the greatest that I have. And I pour them out to you. So that He can rule over you And instead of looks or money or security and all these other things that have the power to crush us and drive us with our fear and then this is all that we're trapped in, that God's treasure would come and could free us. This is what happens on the cross. And if you can begin to understand that we have a king who is God's treasure, who is a king who is crucified, because everybody else has a king who's saying, I have to bow down to you, and if I don't play ball right, then the king won't give me his blessing. The king will cast me out. You know, if you don't give all your money down to the, the God of looks and of health and of working out and all these things, then, you know, you'll get flabby and you'll go gray and you'll get wrinkled and you'll get pasty, and you'll get fat. And the God of good looks will say, you're ugly. Be cast out. That's the way it works. All of the gods and kings of this world, this is how they function. Serve me. If you don't perform, you'll be cast out. But only the crucified king says, I will be bleeding. I'll be poured out. I'll serve you. Be freed under me. And people understand that that's your king. Then he'll say, that's my king. You'll anoint him and pour out your treasures before him. Let me close this message with a story. Um, I'm thinking about this. You know, if you... If you walk with people who really know Jesus and, and Jesus isn't just some nice guy that's supposed to make your life work, but Jesus is crucified king, the treasure of God, Jesus who serves us with his blood. People who know that Jesus and anoint him as their king, they do weird things. <laughs> Those people will do 
crazy things. They will do things like this. Okay? If you'll know Jesus and you're like, man, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know if I could ever do anything something like that. I don't know if I could ever want to give a year's worth of my wages. <laughs> you're talking a year's salary. Will I ever think about giving up a year of my salary? I think some of you not only will do that, but you'll do more. And, and if it's not money, it'll be about something else. But people do this. They do this. If you're around people and you walk in a church, this is really the church, not just churchianity church, but true Christianity, real gospel church, and you walk in that family, you'll see people do this. Right? Let me just give you a story, and this comes straight out of our church. And I may have shared this with you, but I want to share that. That's just so appropriate for today. And um, a few years ago, I was having a conversation with our, our previous senior pastor, Pastor Kyung Lee. He was making an interesting comment. We were talking back and forth. And we were talking about why is it that the second generation, the more Americanized Asian Americans, why is it that they, their churches don't tend to thrive and why it is that they, they tend to stumble? And he looked at me and he said, I think one of the, the big reasons that the second generation churches don't you know, thrive and, and move on, despite the fact, and he made this very interesting comment. He goes, he goes the second generation people, you're, they're, they're often better educated. You guys have often gone to very good schools. He made a very interesting comment. He says, a lot of the English ministry, second generation pastors, they often preach better than the first generation pastors. Their theology is better than the first generation pastors. and They've gone to better seminaries. So, they have the stuff you would think, how come... The, the second generation immigrant churches ministers don't take off. And he said to me, he goes, he said, Moksanin, Pastor Park, he says, I think it's because what's often missing is sacrifice. That's what's missing. And he means sacrifice in all the ways, heart sacrifice, saying, this is what's treasure and valuable to me, and I'll lay it down before Jesus. And then he told me the story. He said, I said, Moksarim, he said, because um, I know sometimes when we look at, you look at our church, especially our Korean ministry, it doesn't look like much. And, and they make a lot of mistakes. But let me tell you something about, you know, s- sometimes these kinds of things happen out of our church. A number of years ago, this, uh, this, we've been in this building, what, six years now? Is that about right, right Frank? About six years? We've been in this property, in this building, and it's, it's a quite nice one for about six years. And prior to that, this church was in a building in East San Jose. It was in a poor neighborhood. The building was older and poor and, and, and wasn't you know, as well laid out for us. A number of different things about it. It was a good building. I'm not knocking it in any kind of way. But, and it wasn't serving um, the needs of the church as well. You know, it had kind of the church... The, the members of the church had started to outgrow that building. And the, the church at the time came to a realization that they needed to go into a new building. And that was just, wow, that was like a crazy hard thing to do. Because as many of you guys know, this Silicon Valley, greater San Jose area, the real estate in this area is outrageous. It's outrageously expensive. And so in order to make such a move, there would need to be tremendous sacrifice and it would cost a lot of money um, for people, for this to occur. 
And there was a big discussion among the deacons and the elders on whether they should present, you know, we have this need in our community for a new building and a new property, but it would be so much and it would be a hardship upon our people. Can we go before our people and say, for Christ and his kingdom, for the sake of us proclaiming the gospel, we need to go to another building. Would you be willing to pour forth and invest and sacrifice for this purpose? And the the deacons and the elders were divided on this point because they just felt like the church would not be willing to do this or people would get angry or people would be upset because it wasn't an easy time. And so, but they just felt that when it came down to it, they had a long discussion about this thing and when it came down to it, they felt that they had to do this. They're like, we're, we're, we just, this building, we really are outgrowing this place. We, we have to do this. So they went forward, they presented this to the congregation and then they had a special day when there was going to be a special offering to start to say people would make pleasures toward a down payment toward a new building. And so there was, they had the special worship service. They did this thing. And then, and, and then, the, and then they, counted, they counted what was, what was given to see can we go forward. And the elder at the time um, actually, he's visiting us today. Was was uh, young, young, young Wang Ju's father, <laughs> right? And he counted all the funds, and one particular offering stood out, right? And it was, it was like a roll of cash. Most people had written checks, or they had written like pledges, saying, "Over the course of this year, I will pledge to give." you know, a certain amount of money, but one person. And it was, you know, and it was in an envelope and had that person's name on it. And it was a roll of cash in small bills, tens and twenties. And it amounted to thousands of dollars. And it was an elderly couple in the church that was far from well off. And when Elder Jew looked at this money, he knew what this thing represented. He represented that this couple, though they did not have much, had saved and saved and saved and saved for years. And at this time, when it was going to be for Jesus, they took this thing, this money, and they gave it to him. And Elder Jew looked at that cash, and he wept. I mean, he just started crying because he knew what it was. And then he told that story to Pastor Lee and Pastor Lee wept because he knew what it was. If you anoint Jesus as your king, you will do this for him and more. And this building that we have and the ministry that's happening in this church and the people that are getting saved in this building and the people's lives that are changing, that are coming out of depression and anger and, and suicidal uh, oppression that's happening in this building is because people love Jesus that much and they will sacrifice because to exalt Jesus is to reach the poor and the dying and the lost 
If you would anoint Jesus, this is what comes out of it. If you anoint Jesus, this is what you'll do. This is what you'll do out of your heart. Not because you have to, but because you want to, but because you get to. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that elderly couple who would anoint you as Mary anointed you. Thank you that they would exalt the cross and that the power of the cross and of the new life of, that flows from your death, Jesus, can be poured out upon many because we have this building, because we have this church because we have you, Jesus, to proclaim. We pray that many, many who are poor and dying, would get more than money, they would get the anointing of Jesus. And I pray that you would raise up many in our congregation and in the second generation and the first generation and in the third generation to come, who will gladly pour out their treasures and anoint and exalt Jesus in their lives. So many of who are dead and dying could be made alive through Jesus and his cross. We pray this. As we go to your table, Lord, we pray this in his name. We pray that the name of Jesus would go forward. We would eat of life. And we pour ourselves out as we exalt Jesus in his name. Amen.